episode 278 of the Global From Asia podcast. Why does the rest of the world hate America? Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Recording from Hong Kong today, buddy Lorenzo here. What's up, Lorenzo? Pretty good. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's been a heck of a few weeks. Uh, was in Bangkok for BCBK, then cross border summit Guangzhou, and just wrapped up with the Global Sources Summit and show. And it was great to uh, get to spend some time with you and Lucian and a whole bunch of other amazing people. Huh? Yeah, for sure. It was good to catch up, man. Uh, always good to talk with you. And also during cross border, some uh, not cross border, but the Global Sources. It always becomes almost like a like a reunion. You catch up with old friends and meet new people. So it's cool. Definitely, definitely. And I'm bugged down that, I mean, I'm sorry that I couldn't make it to your close border because I was in, uh, back at home in Toronto for my sister's wedding and my birthday. Otherwise, it would have been a pleasure to attend it as usual. Yeah, I mean, you're a regular. I always, always appreciate the support. Also, I got you a copy of the book. I kept, I kept one for you, so I'm excited to hear your your feedback. Yes, I appreciate that. I'm also looking forward to read it, but lately I've been so busy. I just came back from home last uh, Thursday. Jet lag has been killing me, plus there's uh, global sources. I haven't had any time, but I'll definitely get to it in the next few days. Sure, sure. So this week's show is quite an interesting topic. We have uh, Richard Conrad, which wrote a book about cultural differences, and it's, a, it's an interesting read. I read the whole thing. I'm going to give my summary of the book, as well as some stories in the blah, blah, blah session, like always, where actually I was in Italy, and somebody told me something really interesting back in the day about how much he didn't like Americans. So today's show is two Americans talking about why the rest of the world might not like Americans. So I'm an American. Well... Lorenzo's Canadian. I'm talking, the guest Richard is American, and we have an interesting talk. As always, I try to keep it real. Actually, Uncle Gary was on the show a few yeah, a few weeks. Actually, a lot of people like that. Yeah, I love that. I listened only to a part of it, but it was quite entertaining, yeah. yeah a lot of people have uh, liked that show I've met uh, in my travels the last few weeks. That one has top picked. He wants to come back, and actually Bloomberg is interviewing him. Nice. I I can see why, because very down to earth, no BS, and straight to the point. And a lot of people can uh, relate to that, so that's good. They're going to his house in Florida. Damn. (laughs) To the the trailer, man. They're going to go see him. So it's going to be crazy. So they're going to bring it out later, but. Um, well, he wants to come back on the show. So he was talking to me last night, kind of want to get back on the show. So anyway, let's go into this interview. You know, I think it is a little bit of a clickbait topic or title with the hate of Americans, but it is an insightful discuss, discussion about, you know, why maybe China and Asia and other parts of the world may think America is a little bit hypocritical about its um, stance on certain topics. So keep an open mind. As always, I try to chat. I like to bring these topics on to challenge your normal thinking. A lot of us are stuck in our own culture and our own point of view so if you keep an open mind and just listen to all different perspectives i hope i hope you can enjoy today's show awesome it's gonna be a good one are you looking to sell your amazon business do you want to work directly with an investment company i am a partner at alpharockcapital.com and we are buying and rolling up amazon businesses and working with investors from all around the world we're a u.s-based company with office mostly in Manila, Philippines, and I'm hanging out in 
Thailand, and they support this show. They support what we do here. They support the Cross Border Summit. Mark Roca is an amazing guy running the show there, and I just want to make sure that if you guys appreciate this show and want to support, definitely reach out to Alpha Rock, whether you're looking to invest or whether you're looking to sell your company. We are there to work with you. Big things are in the works there that we cannot publicly say, but I do appreciate them. Us, I'm a part of it. And check them out, www.alpharockcapital.com. There's also a podcast we do as well as different forms and ways you can connect with us. Okay, thank you everyone for tuning into another Global From Asia podcast. We're in for a treat. I think it's the last you know few months have been very uh, very interesting for people in the cross-border international dealing with China and Asia world. And today we have a special guest to, with us talking about maybe the other side of the perspective, you know, from the Asia perspectives of the West or more specifically in the U.S. Uh, before we get into the topic, I'll, I'll introduce uh, Richard Conrad today. Thanks for coming on, Richard. Thanks for having me on, Michael. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, so I'm going through your book now that just came out this year, Culture Hacks, and you're a culture expert that, you know, why you talk about China might not want to be in conflict, although it seems right now there's definitely a lot of conflict happening. Uh, they do, you know, have the desire to avoid invasion, whether it's psychological or otherwise, and will fight to build a sufficient buffer around China to make them feel safe. And a big challenge of the next 50 years is the U.S. and the U.S. kind of seeing China's rise and, and dealing with that. Richard, you grew up in Washington, D.C., and you're one of the only Americans to ever earn a master's degree as a local student at Fudan University in Shanghai, China. You spent the last 16 years working for a large money management firm, researching, analyzing, and investing in Chinese and Japanese equities. So you have a quite a deep understanding of the cultural differences of the U.S. and China. And as we just said before the recording, of course, you must be nose deep in the trade war that's been happening, rocking the world and quite a few other kind of political things in uh, the South China. So thanks again for coming on the show, Richard. Oh, yeah. Very happy to be here. It's uh, very timely. Yes, yes. That's what I felt. I mean, we've been talking to one of your team members preparing for the show, and I feel like, yeah, it's definitely a... Um, so much we could talk about. There's honestly, it could be multiple shows, so it's going to be hard. I, I picked the topic to talk about, you know, how America's perceived in Asia, maybe even in China. You know, you've, you've got perspectives in Japan and, and uh, China in your book. We'll probably more talk about the China side today. Um, in, in our intro of the show, we say, you know, Americans advocate human rights, and uh, as an American myself, you know, we feel that we're justified as the world police or as the world uh, to save the world, improve the world. Um, but sometimes people in other parts of the world see the last 250 years with the slavery of Africans, the genocide of Native Americans and cultures. You know, America sees progress, but other people, other cultures or countries might not uh, see that the same way, especially from the Chinese point of view with their 3,000 years of history and um, might not see that. So, um, yeah, with, with the intro, do you want to add to that uh, topic or that point? Well, excellent. I think um, there's a lot of misunderstanding right now on the American side on how to interpret the Chinese view of the trade war. I think that's an interesting topic. I think there's... Uh, 
a lot of misperceptions in terms of how the Chinese and Asia in general views the U.S. Yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely do it, uh, give some people some more perspective in today's today's episode. So, you know, I'm, I'm an American born. I, you know, I grew up, been, like you asked before the show, I've been uh, living, we're, you know, I'm not in China anymore, but, you know, over 10 years in China and uh, I have a Chinese wife and, you know, kids there, family, kids, you know, half Chinese. And I think living abroad has really opened a lot of, our mind uh and then we almost lose reality of what our american friends and family back home i've said on my show my mom cries when uh, she knows you know she, when i left america she, that there wasn't enough per- why would i do that and they're um they were always kind of uh especially especially my, my mother about me being uh outside of america america's the greatest place in the world why would you need to leave um so it's a little bit emotional sometimes. I know they don't listen to the show, so I can I don't have to worry too much. But you know, I just think it's it's um you know I think there's these different from your, the government, from the educational, from normal day to day interactions, the news, the media. You know where 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 do you think people get these perspectives? I guess it's a mix of everything and just in general, I guess both China, America, you know, everywhere in the world, where would you say people get these inputs and, and their, their cultural feeling? So I'm, I'm 25 years overseas, like you born and born and raised in the U S and my conclusion after all of this time overseas is that there, there isn't a right way or a wrong way of thinking or believing, um, they're just different, and the differences come from speaking different languages, um, having different education systems, different belief systems, the different histories. And it was, for me, it was while I was speaking, because I speak Japanese and Chinese, and when I speak those languages, my personality changes, but also the way I think and process information changes. And so... I wanted to really understand why do we think differently? And I had an epiphany of sorts um, when I was in Tibet and the altitude is very high and I was probably a little bit um, out of it. But it just struck me that we as Westerners believe that time began at a single point, that there was a beginning. In the Bible, it says in the beginning. And God said, let there be light. And Western science says there was a point 13.8 billion years ago where the Big Bang occurred and time has occurred um, in a straight line linearly ever since till today. And because we have these fixed points, we in the West tend to believe in absolute truth because we have absolute points we can anchor on. And out of that linear time, we've developed linear logic where our thinking progresses from subject to object, step by step, building on it, its um, self. But in Asia, it's completely different because in their view, in their belief system, time is always circular. And we have circular time with our clocks. You know, it's eight o'clock again, or it's Tuesday again. Everything's circular for us, except for years. We think years are linear. But for them, even years are circular. They, um, in the original East Asian belief that came out of India, it's eons and eons that um, there are infinite universes um, in the past and the future and existence today. And so there are no fixed 
points of reference. And what that means is with no fixed points of reference to them, truth is always relative. And that's a stark contrast to our belief in absolute truth. And that has a lot of implications on how we misinterpret each other and how Americans get viewed differently. And then the reasoning's different. They don't reason in a linear manner like we do. Chinese reason in a lateral manner from subject to subject. It's based on context. Japanese, interestingly, reason in an intuitive manner. So not only do we have this different view on truth, we also process information differently. And so that leads to a lot of uh, misunderstandings or misinterpretations or different views. True. I mentioned before recording, I'm going going through your book, which is, of course, recommended. And we'll, we'll talk about it throughout the show and at the end, of course. But in in your book, you're I'm reading the. Of course, you talk about Japanese culture. I'm not as I'm not as much involved. I, I don't have much experience in Japan, but more in China. So I, I like the parts where you're talking about. You had a, a CEO visiting uh, China, and you're in the car with the driver of a, a factory or a big company, and the driver got lost, and the CEO was really upset because how could the company driver not know where the the address is or where the location is because he's a driver for that company and he's you know yelling at the driver where why don't you know where we're going and then you were you didn't interpret that to the driver you said he has to go to the bathroom really bad and he's just upset but uh yeah it's also this indirectness i think that's a big one i mean kind of tying back to the the whole current trade war it seems like a cult to you and me, it seems like obvious. It's like Donald Trump is this direct face losing Twitter screaming guy that's like, you know, losing face of, you know, how are you going to make the Chinese uh, president or whatever you want to call him? You know, how are you going to make this, the leadership of China lose face to the whole world? <laughs> and through, it's just so classic to me of uh, cultural differences still happening today. I think that's a fantastic misperception right now Um, because the Chinese believe in relative truth. Whenever they go into a free trade agreement, they'll only agree or only negotiate a deal where they benefit more than the other side. For this reason, there's no free trade agreement between China and Japan or Korea because they, they relative truth believing countries could never agree because one side would always be the winner relatively and the relative losers would always say no. Whereas in the West, because of absolute truth, we believe in win-win outcomes. So we can have a free trade agreement with Mexico and Canada because maybe they benefit more, but we benefit also, and it's an absolute gain for all of us. But in the negotiations with China, we've got this unique situation where Donald Trump is a very unusual American because Mm -hmm. he's a believer in relative truth. And as you're saying, for face, He's only going to agree to a deal where he benefits more than the other side. Yeah. He's a zero-sum negotiator. Yeah. And as you're saying, Xi Jinping and the Chinese are the same way. They can only agree to a deal where they're the relative winners. And I think this is where the major misperception is. So in our American minds, we're thinking of a win-win outcome. Both sides are going to win. One side's going to win a little bit more than the other. And we're trying to find common ground on that. But these negotiations have actually already passed that phase. And now we're into the phase of lose-lose. Who can hurt the other side more? Mm -hmm. Because to a relative truth believer, if I can hurt the other side more than they can hurt me, then I'm going to win. 
And so the Chinese are trying as hard as they can to hurt the Americans more than the Americans can hurt the Chinese. And Donald Trump actually thinks the same way vis-a-vis China. So instead of negotiating towards a trade deal, the reason we're not getting a deal is because this is turning out into um, an economic war. It's going beyond trade. It's it's engulf. It's touching tech. It's going into the finance phase um, and currency at the, at from these stages going forward. And on that analysis, it's actually going to be getting worse. And I think this is where the Western absolute truth perception may not be understanding um, that it's two negotiators going towards a lose-lose outcome. Yeah, I feel I feel the same. Yeah, it's, they say it's the new long cold war. It's like uh, people ask when it's going to go away. I was hoping, I think when it was May, that tweet that he says there's no deal now, they're not, they're not agreeing to our terms and they're trying to change what they said. You know, the Chinese said is like, we're, 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 you know, we're not accepting this. And I don't know, we'll never know what was really said behind the closed doors, but it seemed like pretty, I knew that that when that happened that, uh, you know, China wasn't going to lose face to that uh, kind of a comment publicly on, on Twitter. So since May, uh, I've been also talking to different media, larger media companies, you know, asking me what they think is going to happen. And it seems like it's going to be a long drawn out. Unfortunately, like you said, lose, lose kind of situation where, you know, then, yeah, like China doesn't want to buy the food from America or cutting the purchases and try to replace it. And it's, um, it's really, what I would say, I don't know. I feel like in a way though, America and China's very, they're, they're both such huge economies and huge groups of people and they're so patriotic and proud of people. You know, I think where Europeans have more smaller countries and they have to deal with other cultures, I think, I think that there is some similarity just because they're so big and patriotic that they think they don't need anybody else sometimes. I've noticed in some of my just my perceptions, they don't maybe need to leave their home country ever, you know, travel unless they want to. So um, maybe there are some similarities. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities between Americans and Chinese. J- Japan was the country where I always felt the cultural gap was so much bigger. Um, that culture is totally different. Japan uh, is making money in Japan's a bad thing. The merchant class was the lowest, almost hierarchically. Um, they've got a culture of death. It's it's very different. Chinese and Americans both believe that living a long life, a healthy life, is a good thing. Both groups like to make money. Um, both groups are very outgoing. Um, very accepting. Um, you know, in China, you're allowed to take a Chinese name. In fact, you're encouraged to take a Chinese name. When I lived there, I would say my name and they would say, oh, that's not a good name. That sounds like a foreigner. You need a Chinese name. Cool. But in Japan, you absolutely cannot take on a Japanese name. That would be totally unacceptable to the Japanese. They're very exclusionary. Um, but the Chinese, they border more countries than any, any other country in the world. Um, they're very open to ideas from the outside. The U.S., of course, is an immigrant country, very open to ideas from the outside. But at the same time, as you said, they're both very arrogant. 
Americans and Chinese are, mm-hmm. are very, very arrogant groups. And it's one reason um, we got into the current situation. The American arrogance was um, allowing a communist country into their free trade zone and thinking they would be able to change that communist country into a liberal democracy um, by raising their wealth level. That yeah. was a pure misunderstanding of Chinese culture, of Chinese intentions. Um, and it was purely American hubris. And, um, you know, middle-class America lost a lot of jobs because of that. And and China over the last few years, picking this trade war with the U.S. right now, um, I've concluded, you know, this is about 10 years too early for China to confront the U.S. And my conclusion on it was it was Chinese arrogance. Okay. Yeah, I, I do... I feel, I mean, you know, a lot of different groups and, you know, in our community here with the listeners, we do feel that it's it's necessary for Trump or the U.S. to, to start to reverse this because just to kind of summarize or, or simplify maybe what you you're, you just said, um, I think I've started re- reading a lot of older older articles and watching old videos from the 80s. Uh, we had a sh- we had a guest. My uncle was on this show. <laughs> it's not very famous at all, but he I, he said he talked about the destruction of the American blue collar worker, um, and he was saying how the news would say in the eighties and the nineties, oh, we're going to do business with China, and then they're going to do business with us. Like the Clinton administration says, by letting China, you know, by buying ch- cheap Chinese products, they'll get rich, and then they'll buy stuff from America, and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you just said, that's not what they're planned. They never were. If you ask China, okay, we're going to buy all your products. Are you going to buy from us? They probably was maybe they were. That's that was not their intention, right? Ever. And I think America just assumed we'll let China get rich. We'll buy all their products. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's also the benefit of getting cheap products, but you know, um, they'll also get rich and buy back from us, which is probably never, never the intention on the Chinese side. So China sells to the U.S. about $570 billion worth of goods a year, and they buy from the U.S. about $170 billion worth of goods. There's a huge gap, and it was silly for the Americans to think that as the Chinese got richer, I think it was arrogance. We thought they would become more like us. Mm -hmm. But the Chinese have always been a very mercantilist uh, culture, a very mercantilist people. And that we thought that would change was, um, it, it, it showed a naivete on the part of the Americans. It's, it's true. I mean, I've, I've been frustrated. I came to China in 2007 and like many Americans, I thought I could change, change things. I guess that's an American culture thinking, right? Like that's something like a lot of uh, how do I say, uh, foreigners or non-Americans say about America is we think we're right and we think we can do better and we can change and make things more efficient. Because I was so frustrated buying from factories. You know, I worked on Wall Street. I was selling on eBay and I was trying to buy on Alibaba and I was searching for products. And I was talking on Skype and I was so frustrated. I didn't understand what I was saying and I was drawing it out and I was, you know, talking on Skype calls at 11 p.m. on my fifth floor walk up in New York City and uh, you know trying to say this is what I want and I wouldn't get what I wanted and you know you, you came there and thinking you're going to go to factories and 
even today, I'm in Guangzhou recording, and I I booked a bunch of hotels for an event I'm doing, and uh, they sold them, but they don't have them, and they're trying to negotiate with me, and I spent about an hour talking to them about, you know, renegotiating. It's just, uh, I think that this is, what I say in some of my talks, is, you, yeah, you can't, I think maybe it's Americans or is it other is it is it human nature to think you can change people? You know, I think we shouldn't try to change people, right? Whether is that an American thinking or is that like a as a human thinking? I don't know what you what you think of that to change someone, whether it's a, a woman dating a man that's a you know a drunk and a, and a loser, thinking that she can make him a successful turn his life around. I mean, sometimes maybe we think we can make cultures better and improve. Which I think is a, is what a lot of Americans try to do around the world. That you're correct. That's very much an American trait. It's a Western trait. Um, we, because of our belief in absolute truths, it means that if we found truth, that it must be correct. And if it's correct, then it's universally correct, and so we should share it because it'll be universally correct for everyone. And so when you look at the history of the West, you can see um, trying to spread Christianity around the, around the world, trying to spread it to different countries and different cultures. If, if, and then today we do it with democracy and capitalism. But if you look at the history of China, they, they built a wall to keep the foreigners out. They yeah. never tried to go outside of China and convert other people to Chinese ways. Um, that is just a, because they believe in relative truth. And in relative truth, I could, I'm right, but you can be right also. My yeah. belief system can be right and yours can be right too. So there's no need to proselytize and go around and try and convert people to your way of thinking. And the real disaster of this in my mind was when the U.S. thought they could go into Iraq and convert Iraq um, militarily into a democracy, when you've got three different um, groups, the Shia, Sunni, and Kurds, who have been at war with each other for centuries. They come from a completely different religious background, completely different um, historical background. They never had the Greek tradition of democracy like uh, Europe had and, or we had in the West. And trying to impose this system onto them um, with, with totally different education systems, it was, it was bound to be a complete failure. And I think I think that was also American arrogance to think that we could spread our system there. And that's the same way with, with capitalism and democracy. And, um, you know, uh, Francis Fukuyama said it's the end of history. Uh, liberal democracy is one. But the Chinese never believed that. They still don't. They believe, that, in fact, it has. They believe that society transitions from feudalism to capitalism and then to socialism and to communism. And this is and historical inevitability. So they don't, they didn't b believe our um, uh, idea that they had to become more liberal or democratic at all. Uh, they they um, have gone the other direction, actually. So it's a very American thing to want to spread our thinking. You wanted to spread your knowledge and your ideas to help China to improve because this is going to make the world a better place. Um, but the Chinese and those in the East, they, they see it differently. They have their way, you have your way, we can learn from each other, but there's no need um, to try and change each other from their perspective. Yeah, so I, I wonder, like, you know, like you said, the wall and then investing just in their own 
economy, you know, whereas, well, it's just tricky. I mean, I guess they call it the war machine. You know, I maybe there's different reasons. There's Iraq wars and other wars in, in certain places. But, you know, I, there is the belief that America is trying to help be the world police by... I don't think it's all just for the multinational corporations to get cheaper oil or, or whatever. I think that there is other... Do we need a world police? I mean, America seems to assume this role. I mean, China never seems to be assuming, like, at least as far as I understand, they're not, you know, really uh, invest. This is what my uncle said on a a show. He says, you know, China takes the money, earns, and invests back in their own people, whereas in America, they earn the money and then they feed the war machine. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know. Do we need a world police? You know, do if China was to become the number one economy and the big the global leader, would they be doing what America is doing? I mean, which is maybe good or bad. I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a really specific question here. I'm kind of, kind of just still wondering. You know, I mean, America takes this role of like trying to, whether you say spread its help, spread, but also help. I believe there's some help in there. Attentions. Well, absolutely. Americans believe they're doing the right thing. We believe democracy because we believe in absolute truth. We believe democracy is an absolute good. So the more we can spread it around the world, the better the world will be. Um, The Chinese, they look at India with their democracy and saw how much it slowed down Indian development. In their mind, not having democracy helped them to develop a lot faster. So in the Chinese mind, it's all relative. Maybe after a certain wealth level, democracy is good, but not when you're still at developing um, status level. But for Americans, it's always and everywhere good. It's an absolute good. And so you, you can the war machine's the cynical way to look at it, and there's certainly a cynical angle. But behind it all is this American belief. We really believe we're helping other people, we're helping other countries, that we're making the world a better place. And that's where the big, big misinterpretation comes from, because to East Asians who believe in relative truth, they look at Americans and say, well, the Americans are kidding, right? They don't really believe what they're saying. They talk about human rights as this good thing, and Americans want to spread human rights and encourage human rights around the world, and Americans believe it makes the world a better place. But from the Asian perspective, they say, well, how come you apply one standard to Saudi Arabia, but then a totally different standard to the Chinese? It it comes across as very hypocritical um, to the Asian side of the world, whereas to Americans, they really believe they are making the world a better place by pursuing uh, human rights and that they have to be pragmatic about it, I guess, at some times. Or or Americans may just have a blind spot. You know, when you talk to Chinese or Japanese about it, they say, well, 250 years of slavery, um, genocide of the Native Americans, how come you're talking to us about human rights? You know, who do you think you are? And Americans would say, oh, that was a long time ago. We've changed. It's very different today. Um, but maybe it's a bit of a blind spot. And where we feel we have the moral high ground, but the perception from the other parts of the world is that the U.S. doesn't have the moral high ground. And that leads to a lot of uh, confusion also, I found. Sure. Yeah, before this show, sometimes I I put the topics we're going to talk about in in some of our social media groups. So, 
you know, even Brazilians, there were some other non-Americans that were, because I kind of said, you know, why does the rest of the world hate Americans? We're going to talk about this. What do you guys think? And then I talked about the slavery and the genocide. And a lot of people just say that was a long time ago, it, but it's still happening now in China to this day, you know, with certain places. Um, I don't want to get so, I'm probably getting in trouble. I'm going to maybe tell my wife not to put this one on our Chinese uh, WeChat, but... Uh, you know, they say it's half still happening now. Some of these, you know, issues of human rights. Um, well, least... let me give the Chinese perspective, because the Chinese have a perspective here that yes, they they still have human rights issues, but we have to look at where their human rights level is at this current level of development, and compare that to where the U.S. or Europe was at that level of development, not at today's level of development. Because the U.S., you're probably 50,000 U.S. dollars per capita GDP. China's about 10,000 now, one-fifth of that level. So they say it's, it's apples to oranges to compare at different levels of development. And the other thing is, the other Chinese point of view is, they've taken hundreds of millions of people out of poverty over the last few decades. Isn't that a great achievement in human rights? And I think they do have a fair point on that. And then... On the American point of view, when we think Chinese should have more representation, that's really a civil rights issue, that they should be able to vote and have representative government. That's really civil rights instead of human rights. But there there are human rights issues in China, too. I think we all, we all know that also. But the Chinese view is that there's no absolute truth here, but that the Chinese are getting better. And I think we can see that. Yeah, it's, definitely. We'd like them to get better faster. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot of like, you know, there's this, um, some other perspectives I have. Like, I, I know I do a lot of e-commerce. We, you know, we, we talk on the show a lot about Amazon or import, export and trading. So I, I've gotten myself in trouble just by being in China, associated with Chinese businessmen where lawyers in the U.S. are looking for me for information on certain Chinese people. <laughs> And they find my parents in America. That's another reason my parents think uh, it's a little bit scared about what I do. And um, I'll talk to the Chinese, like, you're selling these fake products, you know, like this Louis Vuitton, or you're selling this Gucci illegally on eBay, on your website. Um, You know, isn't this bad to them? You know, I'm in a restaurant having dinner with the person and just making pretty good money. And then he says, he has this Robin Hood thinking. And a lot of these uh, sellers online, uh, Chinese sellers, will say, we only have 30 years of his, you know, ability to do this. You know, we don't know how to make our own brands. We don't know how to do these things. We were held back by the uh, multinational companies and these rich brands that made us work for a dollar an hour. And they would sell that product they got for $3 and sell for $500. i am just trying to make some money back. Or I'm just trying to make a little cut of that. This is what he would say to me. Yeah, with relative truth, they can bend it any way they <laughs> need, need to. Yeah. So, so uh, this has been, you know, this has been fascinating. I know we could talk for quite a bit. It's kind of getting to a uh, couple more points. So, um, what do you? Th- I guess I have a. What's the future of Americans or in China? You know, uh, is there any risk you think of? Even with Jap, you talk about Japanese. There was even when I was in China in two thousand and 
2012, I think there was some risks, anti-Chinese protests, uh, you know, breaking Chinese cars. It didn't happen so long, but there was some fear. Japanese. Yeah, Japanese. I'm it's something about some about some island. I'm forget. I'm not so. I'm more on the business normally, but there was something about an island with the Japanese. Sorry, so I'm talking about anti-Japanese stuff, and there was also some obviously stuff from the war a long time ago that uh, Chinese still watch TV about war. My father-in-law loves watching these war movies still on repeat or something. But uh, <laughs> will that happen? Do you think? Uh, I mean, seems generally Chinese people still have a positive overview of Americans. I mean, I think. I, I don't know. Do you see that changing? Is there risks to Americans? I mean, in China or doing business with China? Well, the first comment I'd say is these these events can happen, but we shouldn't overreact to them too much. It was the the Diaoyu Dao, yeah, um, what the Japanese call the Senkaku, and it, it the anti-Japanese sentiment did get pretty strong for a while there. But if you go to Japan today, and I mean almost anywhere in Japan, there are Chinese travelers like you wouldn't believe. They just wow. love to visit Japan, despite okay. those movies that your uh, your father-in-law likes. When <laughs> I lived in China, they had a TV show where if a kid got a question wrong, uh, uh, the Rubunquate, so they would have a Chinese guy dressed up in a Japanese army uniform. <laughs> he would run out and grab the kid and run off with him. And the kid was screaming and all the kids were screaming. And despite all that propaganda, there's this very positive feeling towards Japan right now. But as you suggest, it's really turning against the U.S., the trade yeah. war. Um, the Chinese are certainly making it more difficult for Ch American companies in China. They've cut back a lot on the purchase of U.S. goods. The trade surplus with the U.S. ever since the trade war started, um, despite all of Trump's tariffs, it's actually gotten bigger because they've cut back so much on U.S. purchases. Um, there is a risk, and in my framework, this is going towards more of a lose-lose outcome until I suspect a decoupling, a bigger, you know, like the Chinese Internet's already decoupled from the Western Internet. I think at the end of this a lot more of the Chinese economy is going to be decoupled from the U.S. economy, and we're going to go sort of, as you suggested earlier, to the Cold War model of two separate zones. And in that case, in it probably will get more difficult for Americans from the propaganda perspective. But on the people perspective, you know, I'm, Chinese people are wonderful. Yeah, um, exactly. I love the Chinese people. They're just so open and friendly. And they do like parts about the U.S. I think American people and Chinese people get along really well. It's just that our governments are, are going to have an increasing level of tension. Agreed. Um, I had, you know, Shao Kao or, you know, street barbecue with some Chinese friends. is is one of my favorite things to do, you know, sitting on those small plastic stools on the side of the road and <laughs> eating, like, meat on sticks. But uh, he, um, a friend of mine, David, uh, this is called David. He is saying, like, as long as Hollywood is, as long as Amer Chinese are watching American movies and uh, like, I, you know, music and culture, you know, the Chinese government can never really make Chinese people hate Americans or can never really stop this. I've even heard China ban certain in Christmas in certain cities of China. I, I saw in some news articles last Christmas. You know, I think that maybe that's one thing, you know, I think that will always 
I think everybody around the world likes American movies, American culture, American uh, music. Oh, I think you know, that's what he was trying to tell me. That well, as long as that's the case, Americans are like safe. Or, or it's, it's it was a funny conversation, but I think that's um, that's maybe one of my last points on this this discussion. But uh, I don't know what you you think of that. You know, the the American Hollywood is amazing, right? There are a lot of attractive parts about American culture, and I think American people in general are very friendly also, and that as the interaction between Americans and Chinese increases, that that, that, that builds up the friendship between the two countries, but uh, the layer on top of that is there are going to be rising geopolitical tensions, and that will filter down into society, and you know, as long-term China watchers or livers like ourselves, we just have to deal with these changes and go through the changes. But everything goes through cycles. Um, the Chinese say, Uji, be fun, which is take something to the extreme and then it'll reverse and go in the other direction. And I, we're in a phase where the relations are going to be getting worse, but, but that won't be forever. Okay. So... Let's talk a bit about your book, Richard. I mean, I'm 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 enjoying it. I I have to really admit, I I am embarrassed. I have no near nowhere near the skills of Chinese language or especially Japanese as as you did. I I'm I've tried, but it's not stuck for me so well. But I I, I enjoyed some of your quotes of some of the Chinese sayings and the face. Uh, I definitely recommend anybody doing business with China or Japan um, to really dive into this book. Do you want Do you want to share a little bit about about the book? Okay, sure. So I wrote this book, uh, Culture Hacks, Deciphering Differences in American, Chinese, and Japanese Thinking, uh, because I'm about 17 years of experience working here, 25 total years in Asia, and I've just so often seen Americans, Chinese, and Japanese misunderstand each other. And my conclusion was it's not just cultural differences. It actually gets down to differences in the way we think. And so I wrote this book, to describe how and why each group thinks differently and then how that has implications in terms of doing business or um, uh, say setting up a company or doing business meetings. I've got a whole section on business meetings, um, different concepts like how important face is in China and how that relates to real world examples um, or honor in Japan and differences in the way we think about building a company or starting from a business plan and um, how that progresses. So I, I tried to put all of that into a book. And essentially, I was writing the book I wish I could have read when I moved to Asia in 1993, uh -huh. that everything I've learned distilled uh, for someone that's starting out to try and help them out. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the stress might be a little bit less, but I still think there'll be some culture shock. You know, it definitely will soften it. Like, like your stories in the book of the the stressed American that wants has to direct do this. Why can't you go from 
you know, the airports or the look, you know, why you get lost or why, why don't, if I say I don't want to eat, like, you know, your jokes about like to get out of eating, don't say stop giving me food because they keep bringing you food <laughs> in China because you have to say you're, yeah, you're full or, you know, this food's so great. Uh, you have to really um, go indirectly and have a story and have a way to make them look good and maybe lose your face. And uh, yeah, it's definitely very helpful, helpful tips and tricks for for those which i think everybody's got to do business with china even if you don't come to china you're dealing with chinese customers and your shops in new york and london all around the world chinese like you said tourists in japan they're, they're everywhere so it's definitely worth picking it up it's on amazon um we'll link to the the book is is there any other things we should link to um about you or or the book or anything else that, that's uh, relevant uh, no, just Culture Hacks on Amazon. You can find it there. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at CultureHacks1. Okay. Um, folks, uh, feel free to leave a comment or ask questions. Great, great. We'll link up the Twitter too. Thanks so much. It's been a fascinating uh, conversation today, Richard. Great. Thank you, Michael. Did you d- enjoy the e-commerce gladiator series at Global From Asia? In case you missed it, we wrote a book about it, ecommercegladiator.com slash book or slash Amazon to get directed to the Amazon page. It would be a real pleasure if you could download the book. It's just a few dollars online or order a print version. We have been busy the last few weeks working on it, and it just went live. Check it out today, as well as other bonuses and other ways you can engage with the community, www.ecommercegladiator.com. Thank you, Richard, for sharing, and thank you, everybody, for listening. That is uh, hopefully some insights for you. Definitely read the book. I did read the whole book. Um, That's why it's sometimes hard to interview guests that have books because I feel like I had to read their whole book. So this week has been an amazing time, and I told you guys I would share about his book. You know, I think some of the insights I even learned, the most important one is realizing you got to repeat yourself almost like three times to some Chinese people. They just, you say, you, you talk literally and they think like indirectly. So you say, give me X. And then they're thinking, why is he asking me for X? Why does he think that I have X? They're like reading into it almost like a female and a male where the man is just asking for something and the female is like reading so deeply into what you're saying. That's one thing I learned from his book for sure. I, I, I mentioned in the interview too, I was laughing a bit about some of his stories of uh, in China where they're so lost in, and, uh, in the directions and he's so angry at the driver, but the interpreter that translated his, no, no, he was the interpreter. But the, the CEO of the American company was yelling at the driver. But when he, Richard, interpreted it to Chinese for the driver, he says, oh, the boss has to go to the bathroom really bad and he's angry because he has to go to the bathroom. He didn't say that you're an idiot and why don't you know how to drive to this location before we came here? So just being indirectly, I mean, one other thing I, I already knew, but I think it's so true. You can't make have Chinese people lose face. I think that's one issue with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a very direct, very straightforward guy. Uh, you know, no BS kind of talk, which is not really good for Chinese business negotiations. So he says stuff on Twitter and he offends people and doesn't seem to really, almost doesn't really care if somebody's offended. And that 
I don't really recommend. I try to do that anyway, but especially if you're dealing with Chinese business, if you have especially the leader of China lose face publicly on Twitter, they're not going to really do what you want them to do later. <laughs> it's not the best negotiation tactic. The other thing I wanted to share was my story. I don't even think Lorenzo heard this. Um, I was traveling uh, after college in 2003. I backpacked Europe. And it was a couple years after September 11, 2001, when the World Trade Center went down. And I was in Italy. And we're just talking casually to some other backpackers. But they were European. They spoke English to me. And I said, I'm from America. And you know what the first thing he said to me, Lorenzo? What? You deserve 9-11. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Where was he from? I think he was Italian. That's, that doesn't make He's, any sense. He says all this stuff you Americans do to people all around the world. You know, like... Finally, something happens to you so you can understand how it feels. That's the most horrible thing I've, I've heard. Sure, governments are, do bad things, but that doesn't mean that the people deserve it. It's two different things. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't know. It. I said to him, so three. I think it's around 3,000 or 2,000-something people died. 5,000, from depending on where you get your sources from. Okay. Well, even one person dying, I, you know, mm, they're, okay. they're uh, innocent people. I mean... They were going to work. I was right in New Jersey. I saw the buildings go down with my own eyes. I was, uh, wow. so I, I think he maybe got some more perspective for me when I said, I saw them die. I saw that go down. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, that was something I wanted to share in my blah, blah, blah. That's crazy. That's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. I think he realized that was bad after, but he, you know, he says that like America interferes with all these other people all around the world and that, uh, that may be true, but that doesn't justify the the, the massacre of 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 innocent people just going on their way to do their daily job. That doesn't, that's unacceptable. I mean, I'm just yeah. speechless. Yeah, so I remember that. It's That was, whoa, 15 years ago now or something? Nine, it's, 18 years ago. Wow, insane. Time passes by. So anyways, um, I hope you guys enjoy these shows. Well, you know, I'm trying to find more uh, interesting perspectives and we have all actually i recorded a whole bunch of interviews while i was on the road the last few weeks and i got a whole bunch more guests that want to come on also been doing more video content i did some kind of like short four or five minute video clips i uh we're editing those now and so we're doing some more short videos i'm also working on some short podcast uh lorenzo some people i learned said i should do like just one question and answer like five minute podcast and the, yeah, yeah. the title is just that one question because people say if you search something in google like one question about like they could um are you gonna ask each person a question based on their expertise their background is no i think it would just be me answering it each week and you can ask it to a few people I'm still having, honestly, I haven't figured it out yet. Okay. <laughs> it's something I just learned the last few weeks. Okay. But uh, I think it would just be me on the on that. So maybe even listeners could ask me a question. Like, you know, ask Pat, ask Gary V. Mm -hmm. Or I think that they, I learned that they did it. Or maybe they, that's not why they do it. But one benefit I heard is a question is something people search Google for. Mm -hmm. So you can give them a bite-sized answer in an audio and it comes into Google results because podcasts are starting to get indexed in Google. Like today's podcast probably won't get indexed. I mean, won't get searched because it's such a long form mm -hmm. content where you have these short answers. Um, also, I'm going to make a, I don't know if I'm making a podcast, but I found how to get a Bank of China bank account at the Canton Fair with just a business visa. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm thinking about making any short video, short videos and short podcasts. You know, one question that would be quite popular, and I always wanted to ask every successful people I meet is, it's uh, one question is asked always at uh, at the end of uh, John John Dumas. Yeah. Is, so let's say you're, you 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 arrive at a new planet, you know nobody, you don't have any network, nothing. You only have five hundred dollars just to to eat noodles for the first thirty days to get back. What would you do? Okay. That's a question that uh, I'm curious to ask every successful person that I meet because it's always good to know what is their background, what would they do now if they were to start again. And also because a lot of people would, would learn from it because each person has a different background. They have to take a different path to get to where they are. So mm. it would really help a lot of people. So that's something that I would be looking to. I mean, if I had any say to, that's a question I would be very interested to, to hear from okay. successful people. Maybe we could add that to the show. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's enough for our blah, blah, blah. I think we're going to play some Xbox. I need to relax a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think you deserve it after this rocky past few a few days, especially the past 24 hours. It's been quite challenging, quite tiring. Yeah, because we can stick that in the end if you're still listening to the... I always wonder how many listen to the end of this, but interview is over. But yeah, I kind of got uh, in a bad situation where... I'm staying at my, you know, the Lucien and Lorenzo, they, you know, have friends that host me here. So there was a mix up of when I was leaving, so I didn't have a room. And then I I tried to get a room and I couldn't get in, so I ended up staying in a love motel in Wanchai. <laughs> and, and I kept getting woken up in the middle of the night last night to, to noise through the wall and you said you were people uh, singing and dancing and all I don't that. know I think there was one Cantonese KTV room next door and then wow. there was another uh, special massage room on the other side so you got the full experience eh? <laughs> yeah full one experience <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't get many protests this time though okay well stay for the till weekend oh man but it. another thing is I wore my black shirt oh yeah and told you man next I wore my found, black shirt and yeah. especially with the camera gear and all that yeah, so what happened? I, I told Lucy, uh, Lorenzo, and everybody here, but I'm on the Airport Express going to the Asia World Expo for the sourcing, uh, Global Sources Summit. And the first day, it was like Sunday morning, I have my black shirt, my camera, my, my big bag. So I, I look like a reporter. I'm on my laptop typing up something. So he thought I was going to the airport to leave after the protest the night before to write up an article. And he's like, Do you enjoy what you do? <laughs> why do you or something like why do you do what you do or do you really do you get a kick out of this and then I just said yeah I love to I wasn't obviously even <laughs> writing about it but I said yeah I love to do this I mean it's uh, I, I love to document I'm surprised they even allowed you to get on the uh, Airport Express because they, they want to keep the porters has been uh, a wave of almost uh, censoring soft censoring on reporters lately so I'm surprised even allowed you to get on the airport express yeah it's another reason they hate Americans maybe I'm an American <laughs> reporter but uh, they um, also I would I got lost coming to find you once and I went to ask a woman where's where's this place and she's like oh, is something happening there and, <laughs> and then I realized she thinks I'm like because I was kind of running I was lost and I was like in my camera in my black shirt in my big bag and she's thinking I'm like a reporter going to the case going to a new hot case now but, one thing you really have to be careful uh, especially nowadays if you go back to China by land do not be carrying your, your camera on your on, on your shoulder because especially with what's going, coming, going on in Hong Kong 
that might, you know. Oh, maybe that's why they flagged my car. I took a cross-border car with Danny McMillan yeah. and some other, and Chris Davy and some others. Put it in a, in a backpack or whatever. They they it. took us to the inspection zone. Yeah. Can I tell you, Lorenzo? They made me take all of my clothes out onto the counter, and they wow. went through my. They flipped through my e-commerce gladiator book. I think it's a camera. The camera coming from Hong Kong and being American, so you get the whole, you know, almost a home run type of thing. Yeah. They didn't say sorry. Usually, they sometimes did say sorry. Did they go sorry. over your, your phone, your electronics? No, luckily, they didn't Good. get into the phone. I did delete some stuff from uh, certain oh, people yeah. you know. They send me photos and videos Even all the time. Even some apps. I would, if, I, if I were to go tomorrow or whatever, next few days to China, I would definitely delete Facebook, Instagram, and all those kind of things that might put you in hot water. Yeah, and with that... Uh, we love America. No. <laughs> God bless America and Canada. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can put some American music on here. But anyway, I think that's a wrap for 278 shows of Gold Asia. See you next week. We have so many more interviews and content to share and maybe some mini-series too. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Keep rocking, Mike. Thanks. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.